This is CliffCentral.com. Hi, and welcome to the Made Sessions on CliffCentral.com. I'm alone today. My name is Tuliza Cindy, and um, today I've got a very interesting show lined up for you. Last week, we did a poem. We just reviewed a poem by Robert Boiter, and the poem was called At Your Gate. But what we found very prevalent about the domestic worker sector is that often they are spoken for rather than them speaking for themselves. And similarly with this poem by Robert, who is not a domestic worker, it's simply an external depiction of someone else's reality. So to live up to the show's intentions, I went in search for worker experiences written through the lens of their own experiences. And after all, that's what the show aims to do. It's, it aims to have this platform where workers can speak on their own behalf rather than to be represented by outsiders looking in, just like myself. So it's something that's quite ironic. But um, it brought me to a very exciting project, and it's one that you can follow online. It's called workerstories.org. And this movement collects stories from various kinds of low-income minimum wage workers in America. Um, and they've, they've already touched on industries such as domestic work, airport workers, laundry cleaners, retailers, farm workers, health workers, taxi drivers. So for the domestic workers, they held a workshop event in New York, um, collaborating with their International Domestic Workers Federation, their National Domestic Workers Alliance, and, and those such groups. And they wrote and painted poetry on the walls of a building. They wrote and they received poems from domestic workers from Chile, Costa Rica and Lebanon, and they looped a screening of Jennifer Prativa's Samuel's documentary, Claiming Our Voice. Now, it's very important what we've seen in our work with MAID, the kind of environment that domestic workers are placed in in order to get the best out of them, in order to really unearth their potential. And so they were very calculated in the different kinds of environments that they presented for different kinds of workers. So I want to highlight only three articles because it resonates with our context of South Africa. And when you replace the Americanisms with our South African realities, they ring quite true. So the first story is about the part of a city that you come from and the impact that it can have on your opportunities in the working world. The piece is from a series called Working While Black in Nova Scotia. Um, it's by an anonymous writer, and they've called it Change of Address. Lots of people change their addresses when looking for a job. People find another address that they can use. I know someone who had better luck looking as soon as she changed her address from Alexandra to Santon. She said she felt shame about it, but she had to do it. I changed mine once when I lived in social housing briefly. I used my friend's address instead to get a job at a place where there shouldn't be an issue. Someone else I know, when asked where she grew up, says the North. She doesn't want to say Kailicha. If you say Kailicha, people kind of say... Oh, you don't seem like someone who grew up there if you don't fit the stereotype. But so many people live there. So as you can tell, I've changed some of the the areas to areas in the country that we know that are quite disparate in relation to wealthier areas. Um, but what is interesting to note is that as of 2014, 11% of South Africans or five and a half million South Africans are living in informal settlements. 
and 38% of South Africans are living in townships. And that's about 21 million people. Uh, so overall, about 20, 26 million um, are living in informal settlements and townships or environments that have some sort of stigma associated to it. If you're coming from informal settlements, one can assume that you probably don't have access or at least legal access to water and electricity. You might not have access to an adequate sewage system, and so you probably have dropped toilets. Um, from townships, you probably have access to basic services, but in those kinds of environments, vegetation was a luxury. Um, and so you're coming from places where it's not just about what you have access to or don't have access to, but you're also carrying the stigma associated to being poor. You might not have a car, and in some instances in our country, to not be able to have a car prohibits you from having certain jobs because for some places the prerequisite is that you have a car. And so there's a lot of different things that come with saying your address and if you come from environments that were um, very calculatedly disadvantaged during apartheid times um, and so that's sort of an example of where it doesn't end even after laws have changed um, and maybe it's a couple of generations where those things will start to mean less but it certainly is still a reality for so many so the next one we have is called If I Made a Living Wage. And if you might remember, we did a show on living wages a couple of, of months back. It was very, it was very interesting and I think also hard to settle on the idea of it just being implemented because we don't have the strongest middle class that are able to afford a living wage. And so when you're confronted with that as well, it could then be about engaging people on maybe giving domestic workers or lower income workers their time so that they're not stuck in jobs that are eight to five jobs where they simply are not earning enough. So this is called If I Made a Living Wage. It's written by someone named Elliot Deline, and he's a transgender man. So this poem was found through the Tompkins County Workers Center. And that's a nonprofit labor rights organization in New York um, that follows its mission to stand up with all people treated unfairly at work. Um, so the poem goes, if I made a living wage, I think that I could disengage the guilt I felt for being alive and doing what I must to survive. The time wasted the sickening rage on civil servants in my face, accusations, threats, and lies, profits from my teary eyes. My mother's silence, my father's shame, the intergenerational pain. We've pulled ourselves up. Why can't you? A varsity degree should get you through. Set aside material needs. What I want is dignity. But in addition, let me see if I made a living wage. I would pay my share of rent, repay those from whom I've lent. I could afford a therapist for my mental health laundry list. Henceforth, I'd have less PTSD, fewer nightmares and anxieties. I could go for coffee with new friends and also afford my medicines. Maybe I could get a guitar 
or even, dare I say, a car, a couch that isn't falling apart, supplies with which to make some art. I'd get a lawyer who isn't free and sue SARS for harassing me and Hotzo for swindling me and racist employers for firing me. I would never have to fill out forms, prove I'm poor enough for alms, or be accused that I lie and whine when I try to claim what's legally mine. I'd keep writing books and with more promotion, my sales would really pick up motion. I'd create my own self-publishing collective for writers like me who are also rejected. I'd travel to places where I could swim and build my children a jungle gym. I'd be able to just relax and chill and afford the foods that don't make me ill. Yes, if I made a living wage, I think that money could assuage. The peace of mind I've been deprived, and maybe then I truly thrive. I think that one is quite self-explanatory, and I'll just add a bit of detail after I read the second poem, which is called Pride, and this is by Tal Mintz, which is also from the Tompkins County Worker Center. Um, and yeah, my sort of feedback will just be around the the minimum wage versus living wage debate. Burnt hands carrying calloused fingers. I take pride in my work. Smells of meat and sweat stain my clothes. I deserve every cent of that paycheck. My coworkers threaten to strike for living wage. I cannot afford to. In a sea of high school students, I'm trying to pay rent. In a sea of debt, bills and taxes, I'm trying to stay afloat. You see, my dad was poor, and his dad was poor, and I'm poor, but I have a degree. But my child will likely be poor like me. The South African dream of socioeconomic mobility is now a modern-day caste system where we celebrate the few who achieve. But I'm lucky. Please remember, I am lucky. I make 80 an hour when some make 20. I know there's a tremendous privilege in having loose change. I'm not asking for handouts. The brand on my shirt is worth 800 billion rand. I'm worth the hours I work. I live check to check to check. I can't afford to save. My car breaking down or any unexpected accidents shouldn't be a death sentence disguised as eviction papers. 24 extra rands an hour, 192 extra rands a day is the difference between buying garbage bags at spa or living another week in waste. You ask how my life would be different? How could it possibly be the same? Working till two in the morning, flipping burgers, making fries, creating art for you to devour. I take pride in my work. But it'd be nice to call in sick and still be able to purchase milk. It'd be nice to have breathing room in this constant state of suffocating. There's no place in this country where 20 rand puts a roof on your head. 80 rand doesn't solve every injustice, but it'll change my life. And with that, um, in our country's reality, again, as of 2014, 58% of the country was earning minimum wage um, at 4,300 rand a month or less. And that's the equivalent of 28 rand an hour. So it's not quite a far-fetched reality uh, when you... Replace low wages there with our low wages here. And how something as simple as a day off, you know, changes the kind of breakfast you can have. Uh, or changes whether you will get to take out your trash or not. Um, 
And, you know, as Elliot mentioned, that it's really about dignity. It's not, it's not about material needs. If you're to put that aside, those are wants, but at the fundaments, if, if people are fighting for their needs, for their inherent needs, that is really where the issue lies. And so it's not even about feeling sorry for people from my perspective. I think for me, it has to do with the way that the lowest citizen, and I say that in inverted commas, and I, and I mean lowest economic citizen, those that are classified, um, as the lowest citizens, the level of dignity that they are treated with is a reflection of the level of dignity that you could be treated with as well. If you're treated with more dignity, because it is a reflection on the society's state of morality. Many of you might have heard this very famous quote by Martin Luther King, um, which constantly resonates with us, um, Bali and I, as we continue on the process of MAID, um, that says, injustice anywhere is threat to justice everywhere. Um, and, it, and it's not that the injustice will look the same. The injustice can look very different. So maybe um, an injustice for one could be hoarding to a point that a significant percentage of the country is starving. Uh, and what becomes the injustice towards those that hoard could be just a high rate of crime. Because if you're creating poverty, there also becomes an increase in criminality. So there are different mutations of injustice. Inherently, you have to be able in your society to feel safe, but inherently you also have to be able to feel like you can access food and your primary needs. They're both injustices and they feed off each other, but you're both experiencing it. And so even though it might seem like one is experiencing injustice and another isn't, they are in their own ways experiencing it. And that's really what our intention has been with MADE, is to raise the level of justice and morality um, of our society. And so I just wanted to give these three as an example and go take a look at the website. Again, it's workerstories.org. They have a lot of very interesting stories. And again, it's from America, but there's so much of it that you can transplant to our context to help us understand how workers in lower income brackets, you know, perceive the world, perceive their treatment, what their deepest desires and hopes are, uh, where they come from. A lot of, a lot of them are, um, illegal immigrants or refugees and sometimes it's it's so interesting to hear the story that determines why someone leaves their place they call home to start anew in a place that they don't understand in a place that won't necessarily welcome them in a place that doesn't have as many benefits available to them it takes quite a lot for people to make those decisions um, and so, and, and that website captures all of that, but from the mouths of the workers, they're very interesting stories. Please make sure to read them and let me know your thoughts. Let me know which ones are your favorites or interesting or heartbreaking or inspiring. Um, cause there's a range of those and, and it's a beautiful, um, medium poetry. And there was a poem that said something about just, getting excited or happiness being 
um, speaking English and your employer completely understanding what you mean. Um, you know, things like that, that seem very small to maybe us as someone who would employ a domestic worker that doesn't speak English well, but in a domestic worker's daily struggle to be understood, that could mean everything if in a moment she feels understood. So it's, really small things like that that I think are very important to read from the workers themselves because a lot of those things we won't even be able to conceive of it because it's just not a part of our daily reality. And to just have a reminder like, you know, many of these stories that are so beautifully captured, I hope it awakes in us a resolve, you know, to to work on ways to truly make our environments just and dignified. And I think that is such an important word, you know, to make it dignified for every single person. Because really, if there's a single person in your society that does not have dignity, it exposes all of us to the potential of living with indignity. Um, and with that, I want to thank you so much for listening. I really hope you'll go check it out. And leave your comments. Have a very beautiful afternoon. Thanks so much for joining me on the Maid Sessions on cliffcentral.com. Um, please follow our Twitter page at Maid Project. That's M-A-I-D-E Project. As well as the Maid Sessions. Again, that's M-A-I-D-E. Uh, we'd really, really love to hear from you guys. But for now, have a beautiful afternoon. And see you next week. Bye. This is cliffcentral.com.